And welcome to episode number two of what I guess I'm calling racism. Let's talk about it. It started out with an idea just to get a conversation going. I know a lot of people are going through a lot of things right now, and um, they're trying to figure out what to do with the crisis that we have going on in this world. We start out with you know COVID-19, and then it's gone into a race issue. And so we're just going to have a conversation about race, uh, maybe some of the things that are causing it, maybe some... Uh, some get some clarification from one side to the other, so to speak, about uh, maybe any misconceptions, things like that. So there's real no agenda to this. It's just a conversation. And I've invited uh, Roland Wiley in to join me. He is the one of the hosts for Take Two podcast. Yeah. And um, we'll get some more information on Take Two coming up uh, a little bit later. But um, but thank you first of all for coming in. I, I appreciate you reaching out, Son. It meant a lot. Yeah, and so um, I thought maybe we could just start out with um, a question, which I like to ask, because I, I kind of find it a little bit entertaining. And what I mean by that is you've got the comparison of black versus African-American, you know, and, and it, and it kind of stemmed, I guess, a little bit from the PC culture. You know, it's, it's not good to call someone black because that could be racist, so they should be African-American. But then you kind of get into the idea where, like, I don't know if you're familiar with the boxer Lennox Lewis. Um, you know, he's yeah. a British citizen, yeah. and he's black, and so therefore he's not African-American. Right. What is he? Right. And so, again, so I just thought maybe we could start out with that question. Is African-American racist? Do you prefer one or the other? What are your thoughts? Oh, gosh. It, it's interesting because I think about just from a historical standpoint, the, the progression of who I would be considered. It would be going back as far as commodity, then it was Negro, then it was, gosh, then you have at black and then Afro-American, which is more of like the hairstyle, but then it became, okay, well, we went back to black, and then it became... It just kept flipping around and changing. So for me, if someone says black, I personally don't flinch. African Americans fine too. Roland even works the best. To be quite honest, it's just well, that, well, that was the other thing. It's like just call you my name. Yeah, right? my, I mean, the name. Yeah. My name is fine. If you want to ask me, I'm like, well, what's your background? Well, that's another thing because if you really look back at my background, my dad's side of the family is black or African-American, as far as I know. My mom's side of the family is very diverse. It's that I have a Scottish aunt. I have a great Ameri- a great grandmother who was full-blood Cherokee, and there's, there's Mexican in there and French and Creole. So it just really spans out. So for me, and it kind of tips into our conversation as well, it's that I think about differences because growing up in my family – I saw differences, but it wasn't that one was that stood out. For example, I have a cousin that looks like you. He's blue-eyed and looks like you, and that didn't concern me. It wasn't until high school, which I'll share much later, about where, oh, that's who that person is or that's what that person is. Yeah, and so with that... I guess the intent behind it, I guess, is a big thing. Uh, so if, again, you know, you prefer the name Roland, but, um, yeah, yeah. you know, if someone's referring to you as something. And the other thing, I guess, is this. Why are we still referring to people with skin color? For example, I guess recently there was a radio host that decided instead of saying it's the black community, it's the, the uh, how did he put it, something along the lines of it's the black people in our community. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you're still designating somebody by skin color. Why aren't they just the people yeah. in our city? And so I think a lot of times, too, people kind of get hung up on the color 
as opposed to the person, if that makes sense. It, it, it's one of those topics I've noticed over time. People ask the same question you ask. Well, what do you prefer to be called? Roland is my first answer. But then when you're talking about the people in our community, it's that if I'm talking about the black community, then, yeah, I'm going to say the people in my community, the black community. But I don't I, – I think for some people, and, I mean, being completely honest, I would say – for the majority of white people that I know, they there's that uncomfortableness of, okay, do I say this? Do I say this? And I prefer if, if the question's asked, then to step in it. Because, I mean, that's the world we live in. We live in a very diverse community from ethnicities to sexual orientation to gender. And, you, and the thing is, I personally take into consideration all of that, and I will ask the question first before sounding foolish it's like oh well what what pronouns do you use i use he and his and i'd rather foster that conversation to create an open dialogue than to appear just uncomfortable period see i'd like to think of myself as kind of a hip guy in touch with society pop culture yeah but pop culture does go a lot faster moves faster than what i even keep up with and so it's hard to sometimes you mention all those things it's hard to even sometimes keep up with what the latest greatest identifier is right and so i think sometimes too if we take that into consideration that you know what if it goes back to that intent if the intent is good okay you might not be up on something right for example, I'll use an example if I may. I was, I was uh, getting my master's in English, right. and I was writing a paper on a book, and the term pansy came up. Yes. Okay, now, when I was growing up, pansy just meant like a weakling, a lightweight, right. uh, somebody that can't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't survive on the playground. 100 pounds soaking wet, yes. as my grandma would say. Yes. And so um, that term came up, and then the professor, I guess who is gay, or was, you know, is gay, was gay at the time, you know, um, kind of called everybody out on it. And said it was a derogatory term towards gay people. And so we all kind of looked at each other like, I never heard that. No one else really ever heard that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, and he kind of got upset a little bit because obviously from his perspective, we, sure. he thought we were calling him or referring to that community as weak and whatever, uh, you know, the derogatory term. Right. And so we're like, dude, we didn't know that that is what it meant because mm -hmm. all of us collectively talking about it. Right. Thought it was, like you said, 100 pounds soaking wet, not survival of the fittest, you know, weak, weakling on the playground, et cetera, going up. Right. And so I think there has to be a little understanding, too, that sometimes culture changes quickly and rapidly. Yeah. And so we need to pause for a minute. And so the next thing might be, whether it's black, African-American, but there might be the next thing that comes. Yeah. We don't know. No. And so, again, it just takes a little bit of understanding. But if you come from the perspective, I think, of just what's your intent. If your intent is to be courtesy, to be respectful, to be yeah. polite – because if you're friends, you might get away with a little bit more than just strangers. Sure. But again, so I think that's one of the things that uh, we kind of have to keep in mind. Now, going back to um, your experience, is there anything yeah. that you just want to share in general about your experience with racism, maybe things that you went through, if there's anything, you know, if it's subtle or anything that you just want to kind of share about the topic in general from your experience in life? Yeah. Um, after watching, I would say, the series of different videos that have appeared in the past few weeks, regarding Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and, of course, George Floyd, it's that it, it resonated with me really close because I think about my experience, my first experience, I would say, with 
law enforcement in a negative way. And when I say that, it's that I, I can't, personally, I can't put the entire police department under the same microscope of the experience I've had because that's one experience. I've had other experiences with law enforcement that were completely different because I was working together with them and doing things with them. In this instance, I was in Orange County and I was I was at my girlfriend's house and she, a mutual friend of ours, we were watching TV and my girlfriend asked that, well, can I go ride with Chris, not her real name, but go with Chris in her car and then we'll she'll we'll have girl talk in the car get to the hotel and then you I'll get in your car and you can drop me off at my parents house fine not a problem again it's orange county probably after seven o'clock at night and we get in, get in our cars we get on the street I don't think I made it probably about a block until the sirens were on me and I hear over the loudspeaker pull over and put your hands where I can see them that's all I heard I put my hands out, rolled my window down, put my hands out, really didn't have an idea of what was going on. It didn't feel like a routine traffic stop at that point because I didn't know what was going on. And with that happening, when I looked to my right, it was just the one officer, but the officer came to my passenger window with the gun drawn. And the immediate thought I had was, I'm going to die. Somehow this is not going to end well, and I'm going to die. And he, it felt like forever, because he just kept telling me to put my hands where I can see him. And my dad, who's in the military, just said, when something like that happens, you give your name, your date of birth, time of birth, where you were born, and where you live and I must have repeated that several times. I couldn't tell you the timeline because all I saw was his gun. After several minutes, he he seemed to stop yelling, and I had asked permission to use my right hand to get my wallet, and then I asked if I could use my right hand to put it on the steering wheel, then my right hand to put on the dashboard, my right hand to put on my pocket, asked permission to do all those things, to get my wallet, confirm that I have my wallet in my hand. I showed him my wallet. I kept my hand here, which you can't see on camera, but I kept it here because I didn't want to have any sudden moves. Then I put the my wallet with my ID on the dashboard and asked if I could slide it over to him and then return my hands back out the window. After that, it was... He said, so where were you coming from? I said, my girlfriend's house. And what were you doing? Watching TV. And what were you watching? Jeopardy. And I added as well, I said, if you'd like to ask her, she's in the car several yards ahead. It's the this colored car with that license plate. His gun never left. His gun stayed there the entire time. And after the questions, it was, well, we got a call about a domestic dispute, and you seem to fit the profile. He returned my wallet with my ID. He said, you're free to go. 
oh, and you should get your right tail light looked out looked at because it's it's broken. Which he didn't know that I knew that wasn't true because I had just replaced all my lighting the day before I went down there. And that experience came full force back into my head watching all these instances occur. And it's hard because when I've shared that with people, they said, well, you must have been doing, well, it's that, well, I've been pulled over too. I was speeding. I said, if you heard my narrative, he pulled me over with no questions. He just said, put your hands out where I can see them. And that's hard because I can think of other instances where I've been pulled over for stranger things. I had laundry in my car. My car had laundry in the front seat, fabric softener. My car smelled like a laundromat. Laundry in the back seat. I get pulled over by a sheriff. And the question is, what do you have in the car? Laundry. What do you have in the back seat? And I just look back at the fabric softener. Gain detergent? Because in my head, I'm fuming. And all I want to do is just go home. I just want to go home. And the question again, so where would you come from? The laundromat? And that's the part where, where I share with people is that you may not understand what it's like to be me in that sense. And that also, I think, believe it was Rodney Pete that may have said it recently. It's like, I wish that people could embrace black people as much as they embrace the black culture. And it's that that's the divide where we're at. And it hurts to see this happening because I think about my kids, my two boys. I have an older stepson, and I have my nine-year-old son, and I worry about that because that's still happening. And there are talks that I would say as a black man with boys, yeah, I have to explain to them. This is what you do when you get pulled over. Because it's happened to me on more than one occasion. And it's frustrating because it hasn't mattered if I've been dressed in a suit and tie, T-shirt and jeans, whatever. It's that that's unfortunately the process that I'm used to. And I'm glad that people are starting to see it on a larger scale. I mean, it's unfortunate because when I hear people talk about, like, black lives matter and then people say, well, no, 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 all lives matter, you're missing the point. It's that if you look at history, black lives haven't had much value since the slave trade. It was... Black people were considered commodities. They didn't have names. They were commodities. The, the men were, were quote-unquote, bred for work, 
either out in the field or so somewhere else, the women were bred for having kids, birthing babies. That's that's where that comes from. It's like if you think about what mattered in terms of black lives, they didn't have much worth or value. Even being emancipated, yeah, you were physically free, but you weren't free in terms of being equal. It's that, okay, well, here's what you're allowed, and you can do this. And even having the same opportunities, it still hurts that we as a people are still not quite looked at as the same, although the intent of some is that, yes, we are the same. However, more people don't see that. I mean, Son and I have known each other for years, and we're peers. And at the same time, I know his intention towards me, and that's why I feel that I can't classify everyone in the same basket because that's not, it's not fair. It's not fair to individuals. And for me, yeah, right now, it's that I know some people are saying that, well, what about other lives mattering? Yes. In that regard, yes. Generally speaking, all lives do matter. At this present time, we're bringing to the forefront that black lives matter. So I'm glad you said that because that always kind of bothered me a little bit when I see that battle between black lives matter, all lives matter, going back and forth. Right. And, I, and I do see um, you know, both sides. I can see both yeah. sides. I can understand what, where both sides are coming from. But sure. like you just said, at this particular moment in time, this is what we're focusing on is yeah. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And so um, and so that's kind of the the thing that, you know, I take from what you just said about that Black Lives Matter is that now in this particular moment, because of everything that's going on, because George Floyd was killed, allegedly, um, until it gets convicted, allegedly. Right. But yeah, you know, he was killed. Um, and so that's what we're focusing on right now is trying to tear down those years and years and years of what you just described. Yeah. So you talk about a commodity, you talk about value. So back then, society valued black people as labor, childbearing, working in the home, slaves. And then we were emancipated, you were emancipated, you know, the black community was emancipated, and so now you are free, but not really. Right. So in the 60s, Martin Luther King Jr. comes along, and we start this movement. Right. It's been now 60 years, Mm -hmm. and it seems like we haven't really gotten too far. Maybe a little bit, yeah. but I mean, I mean, think about it. We're still in a state where there's still a lot of racial divide, racial tension. Right. What does it take? What will it take, do you think, for us to get to the point where the black community is valued beyond just being a commodity, where people look at, whether it be the black community in this case, mm-hmm. or even other races, you know, where, right. where, where we take the color of skin out of the conversation and it's like, this is Roland, a friend, a peer, a buddy. This is Daniel, a friend, a peer, a buddy. This is Jesus, a friend, a peer, a buddy, coworker. And we categorize people by who they actually are right. versus what they look like. Yeah, it's, for, for me, it requires having those really tough conversations. And I know for some that conversation is an uncomfortable conversation, but they have to be had. 
because holding it in is not helping anyone at this point. I mean, because now it's in your face. And it's important to speak out. And as people have said through social media streams and even on the news, it's that people that are in positions of power or privilege, which we can talk about white privilege in a moment, it's that those people in those positions need to speak out as well, as well as myself. I mean, I'm glad, like I said, I appreciate the opportunity because I've been ruminating on this for about two weeks since the start of June. It's been heavy on my heart, and we have to have those conversations. And, and I mean, we've shared this before, even off camera, is that the intention should be to inform and to help someone understand. Will they completely be won over? I don't know. I can't speak for them. But I can say this. If the conversation's not had, our current climate's not going to get any better. And I just hope that through all this, that it's not just a moment in time, but really a movement towards more change. Because some people are surprised that this is happening, But if you look at the timeline, it has been 28 years since the previous riot regarding Rodney King and and that brutality instance. And if you go 24 years back from that, that was when the Watts riots occurred. So as they say, history repeats itself. Unfortunately, it has. And for those that are having the look of, and and I appreciate the sentiment, but it still misses the point where people say, well, I don't see color. I'm like, well, you're one of few. But on the in the general spectrum, we do. I mean, people, we prejudge. I mean, I've had talks with pastors and different people where they talk about the word prejudice, and people are like, well, I'm not prejudiced. Well, let me make it a simple example. If it's cloudy outside... Aren't you prejudging the weather condition? Yeah. Because you think it might, what? Rain. Uh, yeah. So you assess and prejudge the climate, and you plan accordingly. It's, it's a bias that we have. We all have a bias towards something or someone. It doesn't, and I learned this, and I, and I would love to plug this man's name, and I'm drawing a full blank on him right now. Maybe we can put it in post. But he states clearly that we all have an implicit bias. And where does that implicit bias come from? Exposure to what we think we know. We all do it. It's that we look at the weather, we look at our cars, we look at this, we look at that. We have a bias but don't take it as if you are biased that you are a bad person. And like I said, we can talk about white privilege in a moment, which kind of goes hand in hand with that. But it's the matter of acknowledging those parts, but not just acknowledging that, but now doing something to change that. Because if you acknowledge, you're like, all right, cool, this is a green shirt. But you're not doing anything to change the actions of what you're saying and doing, there's a problem with that. 
there's a great concern with that because we can't sit on the sidelines anymore. What do you think? You mentioned a movement, mm-hmm. you know, 24, 28 years, every almost 30 years or 25 to 30 years, is a, there's something happens. Yeah. And then it seems to, like you say, it's a movement for the moment and yeah. then it disappears and then no real change comes. Right. And so with social media, we've had people put black squares on their Instagram and yes. we've had, um, you know, no Spotify Tuesday or, you know, blackout, blackout Tuesday, Tuesday, you know, yeah. and things like that. And, and so it's something that people want to do to, to be a part of. Sure. And, and support, you know, but is, like you said, is there a fear that those are just things that people will do to make themselves feel good in the moment to say, you know what, I blacked out my square, therefore I'm with you guys. And then now, two years from now, we're back to the same thing. What do you think it's going to take besides putting black squares on social media from the masses? While they're protesting now, eventually protesting is going to go away at some point. We're going to get back to normal. You know, sports are going to come back. Jobs are going to come back. Maybe in the fall school comes back. So at some point, the protesting is going to be over, and we're going to kind of get back to what right. a more normal, uh, normalcy is in society. Sure. So what's going to take from people to not just have another movement in the moment, but make it a long-term forever change? Being involved. It's having involvement, whether that is a local neighborhood movement, whether that's a town council thing, whether that's something, whether that's donating money or time to something on on the regular because I, I think it's just human nature. It's that, yeah, people will black out squares, and that's fine. I hope you're doing something more than that, though. That's, that's really what it comes down to for me. It's that I know over these past few weeks I have splintered into different projects. It's that within the next week or so I'll be posting a video in regards to my response to events that have happened in the past month and what's been going on in my mind in regards to this and what conversations I would like people to have because we have we have to be active we can't be passive or think that okay well for the sake of argument okay son you're you're working with black lives matter that's great but I'm not it's like no we can't do that it's that I appreciate people that are getting involved in doing something, whether that's donating time, money, whatever. But now I'll put it like this. If it's not something you want to do, okay, I accept that. However, I don't see a square as enough. It's that, yes, I am speaking on behalf of the moment. But what are you doing in the long run? Because for those that aren't people of color, if you're White, great. You put a black square up. And I say this with all the love and sincerity in the world, but I can't take this off. My world still continues in the same plight. There's not like, oh, I can take this off and put on something else. This is me until the day I die. Yeah, I want to touch on uh, the white privilege aspect, but I wanted to get your thoughts first on. Sure. Do you think the, the politicized part of racism really hinders because I looked at social media and again, social media for me is something that I can look at because I've got a lot of people I'm connected with sure. through the various social medias that I don't personally even know. I'm just connected <laughs> through social media. So I don't yeah. know them. Right. So it gives me a, a kind of a, a, a 
litmus test, petri dish, uh, whatever, of what maybe society's thinking. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it has been polarized with politics. Oh, yeah. So, for example, you say Black Lives Matter, and then I believe I've seen people genuinely, or gen- genuinely, but mm-hmm. genuine, have genuine um, feelings towards, okay, yes, we need change. Yes. But Black Lives Matter, I just can't get on board with that because my perception is it's violence, it's this, it's that, and so therefore I want to, yeah. you know, not be a part of that. And so then I'm going to get into All Lives Matter. Right. But so you get, I see a lot of this kind of the, the politics come in, yeah. and it kind of bl- uh, blurs everything, makes it fuzzy. Yeah. You think we need to get the politics out of it? The politics definitely need to take a back seat to it because I, I do see that. It's that if, it, if you look at it according to a political party, then it gets skewed. If you look at it from just people, if you look at it from a personal standpoint, like, wow, if, if you have friends of yours that have – had shared experiences with you have those conversations with them. I mean, I, I'm not opposed to having those conversations because at this stage of my life, you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer and it's unfiltered. It's just, this is what is, I mean, there was something I had read on the news before I got here where there were people that were making a mockery of George Floyd's demise and it's unfortunate because I I don't know what the intention was for that. I really don't. And I feel I feel for them because I'm sitting there, wow, you have no sympathy for humanity at that point. And when you throw politics in the mix of it, it's just it's frustrating because the issue gets lost. And same thing that most of the newscasts have said is that when you have the writing that's taken place, the intention of the protest gets diminished because now people are looking at, see, those protesters did this. Well, no, because if you start peeling the layers of that onion, those aren't the protesters. Those are people with a different intention because if you've looked at the recent protests, there have been just people protesting just with signs and doing, and that's... That's the real, that's the core of what the protest is. Not the looting, not the rioting. I mean, not the, that's a byproduct of it, but that's not the intent of those that are truly protesting. Now, you mentioned, you told us, uh, shared your experience about getting pulled over. Yeah. Um, Now, I've never had any experience like that. Obviously, I've been pulled over a couple times. Uh, Usually, I'm a good driver. Wink, wink. And so, uh, but if someone came up to me, I don't think I would get questioned using the laundromat incident. Yeah. I don't think anybody would question with a car full of laundry where I'm coming from. What was I doing? I think they would probably look at me, look at the laundry in the car and be like, well, he probably went to a laundromat. And so I wouldn't have that same experience. Right. Um, I'm assuming that because it seemed like the the target was the fact that they pulled you over if they're asking all these questions with the obvious mm-hmm. laundry gain all that obviously there was more intent there than yeah you know they 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 were they were you know their intent was to pull you over because of who you are not what you were doing right so we get to the the white privilege yeah and when white privilege is kind of an interesting topic for me um, not because I'm white but because I think there's a couple things in there that. I think kind of, again, gets the politics get in and it kind of gets skewed. Right. Um, and so first off, just if you can kind of share what uh, 
what your thoughts are on the on the white privilege and that whole topic there. Okay. Well, the thing is, I my my background is being an English teacher for 15 years. So when I go back to looking at what privilege is, I look at the dictionary to find out what that is. I take the adjective white out because that's not the point of it. The point of the word privilege is defined as an advantage to an opportunity or setting for a certain group of people, period. That's it. And when you put the adjective white because it's describing the privilege, it's a white privilege, it's that, yes, white privilege exists in the sense that there are things that you have advantages to a certain place or certain situation that work. Now, do, do I have black privilege? Yes, I do. Because it does exist. I know that there are things because of how I look that allows me different entries into different things. And I'm okay with that. And I like how a late night talk show host talked about it. He said, oh, I feel guilty about having white privilege. It's not the guilt part. It's just acknowledging that, yes, there are things that you may not have to deal with that I will. Like the laundromat thing, I don't think you'll have that instance. Looking back at it, I find it, I laugh at it. In the instance of it, it was just more of, can I just go home? Because this is wasting time. You could be dealing with something that's actually a matter of substance than me with buckets of laundry. So when it comes to white privilege, is that, yes, there's an advantage that white people have in certain areas, whereas... I may not have those same doors open. Do I like it? Absolutely not. Do I acknowledge that it exists? Yes. And going back to what you were saying with social media, it's that, well, people will say, well, I'm white and I was poor and I worked hard and I made it. Well, yes, great. But I don't remember a time, historically speaking, where you were looked at as a commodity. I mean, even when you had immigrants coming here, you may have been looked at temporarily as less than. And I mean, I think about like in New York where you had immigrants from Ireland and Italy and just coming from all over. It ebbed and it flowed and then it died back down. But for black people, that hasn't really, it's, I put it like this, is that, when it gets into that realm, it's that for racism in those matters, it's that when people say, well, racism's not around, eh, it's not around like it used to be in the sense of having crosses burned on your yard, things like that. Now it's more sophisticated. That's the way I would put it. Well, no, I'm sorry. That's already been taken or... Can you submit a photo for this job position, which I've not ever heard of, although a friend of mine, his mother, who's been a nurse for 30-plus years, had to submit a photo for the job. Why does that matter? Yeah, you would think that the resume, (laughs) the job experience, the work experience – would be the only thing that can be considered. Right. Because at that point, who cares what the person looks like? Because right. here's the body of work right. over the course of 30 years. Yeah. So 
as soon as I heard that, I said, well, there's a bias in that because why would you, if you have someone that's more than qualified, why wouldn't you just take them as what the paper shows or just give them the opportunity to interview and then make your judgment call there? I don't know. It's that, like I said, with white privilege, I would say it's not just an exclusive, like only whites have white privilege. I would say each ethnic group has privileges in its own way. However, the majority, I would say that because the system has been kind of built by the white establishment, not personally you, because people are like, well, you did it. Well, no, you weren't even around, so I can't do that. But to say that it's been established on by whites in position of power on the backs of blacks and other people of color, yeah, that's that's a hard thing, so... Hard, those hard conversations have to be addressed. We're talking with uh, Roland Wiley. Let me reintroduce you. He's one of the hosts for Take Two Podcast, among, amongst any <laughs> and every other thing that you've done in the course of your life. Like you said, English, uh, English teaching, English degree, um, working with nonprofits, homeless, I mean, all kinds of different stuff. But for the purpose of the podcast, you could be a podcast host. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the things that... I just was curious about it. I was kind of contemplating white privilege, and I actually yeah. I actually researched it. And I guess mm-hmm. modern day white privilege kind mm-hmm. of stems from Peggy McIntosh, yes. nineteen eighty eight. Okay. Yeah, I read that, and and I I kind of was taken aback a little bit because I thought to myself, I understand she's trying to recognize the the doors, like you said, opening because of the color of skin. Sure, but I also kind of read it as okay, it's kind of elitist because mm-hmm. because it's like wait a minute, so what you're saying is people of color will never be able to do anything that you do because it's the color of your skin that mm-hmm. is determining it. And I find that kind of, it's kind of like this. We talk about the topic of immigration and, yeah. and again, I'm going to use the, the politics and the news. Sure. We need them. We need them. We need them because who else is going to make our beds in the hotel? Who else is going to pick cotton <sighs> yeah. in the fields or who's mm-hmm. going to pick the produce or who's going to pick the, bat? and they start, with the yeah. and I start thinking to myself, wait a minute. Uh-huh. Why do you think that's all they can aspire to? Right. Why can't they aspire to? Why can't we have them here because they want to be doctors and lawyers and businessmen and all these other things? Why do we have to limit them? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that was kind of the thing that came to mind when I was reading Peggy's thing. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's kind of elitist from her to say that. Uh-huh. And now a lot of people have jumped on that. You know, and so it's kind of like, is there a little bit of something where we have to kind of be careful because within our white privilege, I recognize I'm white privilege, but I'm still racist because my skin, you can never achieve what I did because of color of skin, regardless of how I um, acknowledge, how much I acknowledge that. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I, I think about that because that article we did read in grad school, and it's one of those things where I think about it that, yes, I've been a teacher for 15 years, studied for a master's in education, but to the masses, I'm not quite good enough and it's like that's frustrating so when i think about that article again it it is an elitist gesture in there it's like it's it's like a consolation in it it's like a backhanded insult with a consolation it's like well yeah white privilege yes it exists and you're still not going to be enough and it's like and i agree with what you're saying is that why is it that you are putting a ceiling on these different people of color saying well the most you can do is this and Unfortunately, even in schools, there's been tracking where if a, a student has low grades, then they're low tracked, and the kid that's excelling gets high tracked. And the thing is, is that once you put that there for students in a classroom, 
that's pretty much what they'll rise to. If that's all you're expecting from them, that's all they'll give you. And as an educator, that's something where in the school environments I've worked in, everyone has the same opportunity. Doesn't Skin color means zero to me. It's that if you're in my classroom, you're getting the same treatment like every person around you. Well, you don't like me because of this. No, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like your actions, but as far as you as a person, I don't really have much to go with because I taught freshmen, so I didn't know them from a previous school, didn't work with them ever. But that's the thing where it's it's hard because I think that's in the back of my mind, unfortunately more often than not, where it's that it doesn't matter how far I go because I'll never not be good enough. And I say that from another personal standpoint because I had a relationship with that same girlfriend. That relationship ended because they basically told her, you can, you can be with him, but we were going to disown you. And they, she shared with me at one point, it's like if we wanted you to date someone like him, like him, we would have stayed in Inglewood. And it didn't matter that I had a great paying job, didn't matter I was successful. It's that this DQ'd me. See, I've never really understood, and, and I don't want this to come off cavalier. No. But I never really have understood why people judge people by the color of their skin. I mean, like you said, we have all have our pre- prejudices. But me personally, sure. because it's like... Now, I can understand if you're a dumbass and we judge you accordingly or because oh, yeah. you have some other. There's some proof. Yeah, some other, you know, attributes that make you a certain way. Yeah. But it's just even even today, you know, because we talk about, you know, we had a, a, a black president. You know, we've been mm-hmm. pushing to have a female president. You know, mm-hmm. so we've been breaking the glass ceiling. And, and you've had people like Condoleezza Rice and Ben Carson and name Colin any Powell. other. Colin Powell yeah. and any other that have achieved high places. Sure. And yet now we're still coming back in this day and age where we're looking at 5G. We're looking at the Internet around the world. We're looking at, you know, cable. We're looking at Space Force. I mean, we're looking at... All these advances. I mean, we just sent what SpaceX to, you know, to the moon practically yeah. again to the so space ISS, station. Yeah. yeah, you know. So I mean, you, you look at how far we have come in the last sixty years, mm-hmm. and yet when it comes to this topic of racism, we are still back in the Fred Flintstone pedaling our car, yeah. you know, horse and buggy. We're still back in the old days of of racism because we can't, for some reason, get out of those days because mm-hmm. we're still here. Why is that? Do you think it's Gosh, there was a paper I did back in grad school, and we had to pick a culture that we wanted to learn about. At the time, this was on the this was post nine eleven, so I decided to do the the Islam Muslim culture. And I remember the gentleman I interviewed, and his daughter was dating, and I believe was engaged to someone that was not of the faith, but also just not even Muslim in the cultural sense. And, and I and he was, he was really, it hurt him to say that. And I asked him why he said, because I'm trying to preserve our culture. And I'm afraid that once she goes and marries him, that she's going to forget about our culture. And I would say that there is, there's a kernel of truth in that is that there are people that, 
have done the same thing for decades or half a century. And that's what they were taught. And now you're asking them to change. We both worked in radio for a point. And the thing is, people are a creature of habit. If you change that show time to a different time, what happened? They all lost it. And they would call, what did you do to my show? Well, same thing applies to a cultural mind change. It's that you're now going to the core of the problem. That's it. Because people have thought this way for so long. And now you're saying, you want me to do what? See people based on their character? Wait, you want me to be next to that person? You want me to have a connection with that person? But look at them. And that's that's the rub because I remember being, gosh, I was in Biloxi, Mississippi a long time ago. Is it Apricot down there? Is it what? Wasn't that movie? Wasn't, wasn't there a movie uh, with um, the Ferris Bueller Days Off guy and, and they're like, yes. it's in Biloxi or something? And he's yeah. like, it's Africa hot down Africa here. Or something yeah, down there. yeah Biloxi Blues. Yes. Yeah, Biloxi Blues. That's, yes. That's all I hear about when I hear Biloxi. I'm like, it, it's Africa hot. Yeah, it, it's hot. It, it, yeah. it was hot. It was humid. I remember it. But I remember stepping out there and I looked around because I had taken the Greyhound bus and I looked around and I was concerned because I actually looked at the bus driver and said, do we have to get out of the bus? He said, yeah, they have to clean it. Can I help clean? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's what wow, I said wow. because it was like a time warp. Wow. That part of the America, of the Americas, had not moved forward. I mean, because that has been, for lack of a better term, institutionalized. Like, it's just, that's just part of the bread and butter of the mindset. And for some people, that's a hard thing to do. I mean, it was said with all the things that have been going on, the woman that had accused Emmett Till of doing what he did, before she died, she admitted that he really hadn't done anything. I'm just, I didn't even know that. But I was was devastated because I said, wow, at what cost? So when it comes to just the idea of what has to happen. People have to be, it's twofold. People, A, have to be willing to have these tough conversations. Two, be willing to receive whatever is said in these conversations. Because some people might just go there and already have their 10 stakes planted, firmly planted. Whatever you say, I'm not changing. Well, then what what good is it doing for you to be here? What's your intention of being here if you have no desire to change? Now, does that go for both sides? Yeah. I would Tent s- stake in both sides? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's that I, I have concerns when people are very, like, their heels are just dug in the dirt and not willing to hear anything. And, again, that's why I like having conversations. It's not to be understood as much as it is to understand the other person's feelings and where it comes from because we all have a story of where we've been that needs to be told and people need to hear it because it's, it's interesting because when I think about times where I have told people what what I've accomplished and things like that, wow, you're really articulated and well-spoken. 
I, I believe in my heart that their intention was not to be hurtful. But it, it comes off as like a backhanded compliment. Is that, wow, you must have really had to work hard. Well, yeah, I did. But I don't think you have the right picture. And I need to be the one to paint the picture before you start filling it in yourself. Yeah, you're not the you're not the only one that I've heard say that that get that backhanded comment of oh you're articulate you're put together you're dressed well therefore yeah and um, yeah it just becomes dismissive. What what do you think here? Um, like you've been talking about some of the things we can do, but what what is there anything like specific? So you know you're from your teacher background, you sure. have to give examples and you have to you know basically walk the student step by step to the next thing. So right. what can we do as, and I always like to think that we probably should start at the community level, at the neighborhood, because the mm-hmm. national level is just going to be too corrupt well, yeah. and too political. And so we need to start at the grassroots level. So what can we do, do you think, at the grassroots level? So we've had our protests, we've had our black squares, we're sure. having the conversation. Right. What then can we do as far as specifically taking steps to affect change. Well, in, in that regard, I would say getting to talk within the community about it. Talk to your neighbors. I know that sounds like a, a very archaic idea to talk to your neighbors. I did that the first time we moved into our neighborhood. I met the neighbors on all sides and even down the street at one point because we need to be back to what it used to be, I would say. In the sense of, I mean, growing up in the 70s, everyone knew everyone's neighbors. You would play with the kids at the end of your block on either side, and you had to be home before the streetlight came up. That was the rule. But those conversations should start there. And, I mean, from there, I would even go as far as to pursue in the community, talking to the people in leadership even in that community, if I'm in Altadena, Pasadena, Glendale, Southern California, find out, okay, this is my concern. Where do I go to start helping in that process? Where can I donate my time, money, resources in that regard and start being that person of change? And you have to get rid of, well, what can one person do? One person can do a whole lot. I mean, history has shown us that. But you gotta be willing to try and step forward. It's not gonna it's not gonna be an easy road to walk, but change is hard. And for every community, this conversation has to be addressed. I mean, even little Bangladesh was on the news because they were standing in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And that was um gosh. It's there's a pocket I mean, there's a community called Little Bangladesh, but there's actually like an organized community group within that community that is looking to start changing that cultural mindset. So it's it starts in the home and starts branching out and sending letters and being active in whatever capacity that is. And I think, too, it also will then, once you start to break down the racial tension then other areas might start to fall. You know, people will start to look at, look upon people as people as opposed to, like you say, a commodity or somebody who can only aspire to hotel worker, field worker, but yet we now realize people can be doctors. 
lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the case may be. We're not limiting them based on our perspective of who they are because of their skin color. And I think it might open things up a lot more. Um, what do you think as we kind of wrap things up here? Sure. When you take a look at everything now that has kind of been going on mm-hmm. and now there's like defund the police and there's all kinds of these kind of these radical things. Right. Do you think we have to be careful? We don't get too much on the radical side. Is that even radical? And, and kind of keep it focused on what the true cause is, is that we want to be able to have the ability where people are equal, kind of like Martin Luther King Jr. said in his speech, you know, we want equality for all and to right. achieve true equality. Right. Um, do we have to kind of be careful that we don't get too far and then we tip the boat the other way? Well, it depends on what you define as tipping the boat because when it comes down to just being simply just being involved in the process, that has to start first. And I mean, like we were saying earlier, the politics has to be pulled out. And yes, right now, the I would say the prime target of the current conversation is about law enforcement. But here's here are my concerns is that, okay, well, if you go with the idea of defunding the police, okay, then that money's being shifted elsewhere to mental health services and things like that, and I believe that's great. At the same time, it's that, but what the system within law enforcement needs to be looked at. That's the thing, because anything, if you start looking at a machine, if a machine is not working properly, you have to dismantle it and look at the core of what it is. And there's something in that core where that's important to look at. Is it going to be an overnight thing? No, it's not. I mean, we're in 2020, and civil rights is still an issue. So it's a to-be-continued conversation. So it shouldn't just be something like, okay, I am addressing this, and yes, and this happened, cool. And I can kick back. Because it, it doesn't. I mean, ignorance doesn't take a sick day. And it's okay to be ignorant. I mean, that's what I would tell my students. It's okay to be ignorant because I would rather you say you don't know and help me learn as opposed to, oh, I, I know, I know. But you really don't. So. Yeah, sometimes it's better, like you said, just not to pretend you know if you don't know, yeah. because sometimes you don't have all the answers. Uh, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, um, absolutely. Appreciate it. Appreciate what you had to share. I think it was something that you know I definitely learned from, and hopefully others that listen and watch will learn from. And, and the important thing I took away from it is that we need to keep the conversation going beyond even what it is now. We need to, when things settle down, it, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right now we're in the sprint mode. Yeah. We've got all this stuff going and we're sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. Yeah, the momentum's and there. Soon, yeah. And then pretty soon momentum is going to run dry and then mm-hmm. it's going to be like the long haul, the push, right. you know, kind of like the Tour de France where you got to go and go and go and it's the, the grind, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, to get to that point. And so um, I think that's one of the things that we got to keep in mind is it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. If you don't know, ignorant, uh, ignorance, uh, that's fine. Find out and have the conversation. And it's going to be uncomfortable, like you said. I think yeah. it's going to be uncomfortable because there's going to be things that I thought, like preconceived notions that are going to have to be beaten out of me. There's going to be things that you know I might have been taught or been talked to by people that I trusted, mm-hmm. and now I realize, oh, wait, that might not be true. Or it could just be a changing of the times, you know, going yeah. back to something like a word or a phrase or whatever. Now it's become obsolete because it's a changing of the time. Right. But ultimately, too, I think it comes down to um, the heart yeah. and just treating people 
Um, and if you change your heart, whatever's on your heart's going to come out. Right. And having that willingness to receive something about yourself you didn't recognize and being okay with that because like I was saying earlier, if your tent stakes are firmly planted that this is how it is and this is where I'm staying, then change isn't going to come. And so people want to find more about you and, and maybe find you on social media or things like that, your podcast, where can they find you? Yeah, the podcast I co-host with Jenny and Sev is called Take Two Live. You can find us on Facebook at Take Two Live or on Instagram at Take Two underscore live. Or if you're looking for me, you can find me at Roland, R-O-L-A-N-D underscore Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. And for those of you, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Do tell a friend. Help spread the conversation. And maybe you guys can have conversations of your own uh, starting in the community and in the neighborhood. And until next time, God bless. See ya.